Pardon me while I detox Say no need for the re-rock Working on credit scores and woo size I got serenity by the hoopla Met up with Nate, no money in the shoebox Told me about his idea for detox Helping addicts recover straight out the cell block Showing up and looking like they were shell-shocked I need help, bro Well, trust God, clean house, and show up to detox Please, just show up to detox What's up, my recovery road dogs? Welcome to Pardon Me While I Detox, the dopest podcast in the land, literally. Today, we're kicking it off with George Del Grosso, the curriculum director at Oaks Recovery's Willow House, breaking down his methods for total mind and body transformation. Get ready to chill out with us and score some major insights on the path to wellness. Let's get it! Long story short, I wound up hitting psychosis. Uh, after I want to say two and a half years of being homeless, two and a half two and a half years of severe drug use. That's when it got really bad. Um, I contracted HIV, and like that drove me off the rails. Like that wasn't even the cutting point to my addiction. Like once I found out I had HIV, that was like the ultimate failure. Not only was I like adopted and gay and an alcoholic and a drug addict and homeless and jobless and moneyless, but now I had HIV. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Yeah. I ran away from home. Like, I just was like, you know what? I give up. And I texted my parents. I've texted my parents numerous times over the course of my addiction with just hateful text messages. Not because I hated them, but because I wanted to push them away so if I died, they wouldn't know about it. When that set in, did you feel like you just, there was no hope? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would find, like, temporary solace in Grindr. Like, I would go to people's apartments and use it to shower, and I was very upfront with them. Like, I was like, I don't have a place to go. Um, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I will, you know, if you need this, I'll do it. If you want this, I'll get it. If you, I just need a place to stay, and I need a place to shower. And, like, everybody in two different communities, I wouldn't say everybody, that's a big statement to make. Yeah. A lot of people in two different communities of the city knew exactly who I was. And to be honest, like, there were very few times in my addiction when I when I stole from people. Like I really, I just wanted a place to stay. Like I like I was telling you when we first started this, I was a good person. It really was. Um, but I had to survive. You know what I mean. You have to survive at some point. Yeah. So you learn how to manipulate, and you learn how to be different people again on a much different level than you ever were before. But I think there was only one time that I stole money from somebody and I stole drugs from them and that was because I was afraid and I was like, I don't know the next time I'm going to get any of this. So I took it and I ran. Um, but I tried, to, I tried to be that person that I knew I, I was created to be. I tried to be this good person. I was just in the wrong crowd. You know what I mean? I was around people that, that were just as sick as I was. I don't like when people say I was hanging around shady people because I was a shady person. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Like, I was that company. So I can't look at these people and put them down. I was them. Mm -hmm. You know? And, and it's like, you are the company that you keep. So I was just as shady and manipulative as they were. I just knew I wanted to get out of it. I just didn't know how. How um, long typically would somebody let uh, you stay with them? Not very long. Okay. Like not two, three days Maybe a day. Well, like... Maybe a day if I wound up like shooting up and falling asleep because my body just gave out like they would let me sleep and then yeah. they wake me up and be like you gotta go like I gotta go to work <laughs> or like I got family coming over or like you know I, I you just need to get out <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't live here yeah. um, 
There was once I tried to claim squatting rights, and this dude was like, I will literally beat the shit out of you if you don't get out of my apartment. Like, you can claim it, but I'll throw you out anyway. Um, so I, you know, eventually I wound up hitting psychosis. I was just so malnourished, and uh, I called my parents. They came and picked me up. Like, that's, the, that's, like, so heartbreaking when you continue to make awful decisions and hurt people and text them and say these nasty things, and then you ask them to come get you, and they do. And that was the most silent car ride of my entire life. And that silence said so much. Like, you know, I tried to talk because I, I didn't like silence. And my dad was like, I was just talking shit. Like, I was just saying stupid things that made no sense. And my dad was like, George, just stop talking. You know, he was telling my mom, like, he's not making any sense. And, um, yeah, so I came home. They, they brought me to Good Sam, which was like the, the psychiatric facility or the detox center. To, in hopes that that would get me sober. Um, I was so sick, I like shit the bed that night and checked myself out the next day because I was like, nope. Um, and my mom was like, you have to stay. I'm like, if you do not come get me, I will leave. Like, it's, you know, giving her an ultimatum. Yeah. Like, I was doing her a favor, you know, and then they checked me into uh, the Rockland Center for Mental Health or something like that, where I went to IOP. And I still got high during IOP because that was just not enough for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was like talking about your feelings and mm -hmm. people, places, and things. There was no solution. Maybe for people that aren't like us, there was a solution because they gave you something to work with. But for me, it was so much deeper seated. And I remember there was a man, his name was Mike. And Mike had just come back from a treatment center in South Carolina. And I don't know where it was. I don't think it was the Oaks. Um, but he was speaking the same language that I heard that woman speaking at my cousin's wedding. And he was talking about these steps, and he was talking about making amends, and he was talking about all this stuff, and I was like, that's what I need. You know, I just don't know how to get it, and, and I don't have the means of getting there. Um, and one day after showing up in IOP, <clears throat> hi, again, I came home and I had an intervention. And I was like, you can either go out um, back into the streets because you're not living here, or you can go get help. And uh, I don't remember saying yes. <laughs> I really don't. I think that I think that in that moment, I think all of us are here at the Oaks or in Greenwood, South Carolina, because we did not say yes. Something intervened yeah. at that moment and spoke for us because it knew that it was time. Mm -hmm. You know, I that's this is the first experience I've ever had a treatment, and I'm so glad it was, um, because now when I look back and I see the opportunity that's presented to everybody, like nobody deserves this type of opportunity that we get here mm -hmm. like, to the like the level of care that we get the amount of attention that we get even if it is 70 guys like i felt like i was a person at the oaks yeah. you know what i mean i felt like i was like i was seen and i was loved and i was cared for and i didn't deserve any of that you know what i mean and, and i feel like everybody that sits at commencement on friday would did not say yes on their own accord i really I believe that i, I firmly agree. believe that and then I was here. I, I fell asleep. I, I had one needle left over that I hid from my mom. Um, she thought she threw them all out. But I, I ran into the bathroom, and I shot, and, and I got yeeted into another dimension. Because um, I was so dehydrated that I just passed out. And I fell asleep maybe two hours into the car ride down here. And I woke up. I thought I was in upstate New York. And they were like, you're in South Carolina. And I was like... Okay. <laughs> How long am I gonna be here? I know. I remember my mom telling me I was going for four months on the ride down here, and I was like, "No, nah, I'm gonna go for 28 days." She was like, "No, you're gonna go for four months," and I was like, "We'll talk about it." My mom was like, "Yeah, okay." There's nothing 
<laughs> You're going for four months. Um, you know, because they paid for it. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. I put in my money. I had yeah. no money. What the hell? So, like, yeah. so, and, and I remember being in my cottage and, and marking off, like, 42 days in my notebook. And, like, the first week, I was, like, X, X. With every day that passed. Yeah. And then by day, like, 14, I just stopped counting. I, like, well, hold on. Before out. you get to that. Yeah. Tell me, tell me, when you pull up, that feeling, and and what because it's interesting because uh, as you one when you say, I don't think you say yes, and I think about my experience. I'm like, man, I didn't. I, it was I was coming out of a hospital. Yeah. It was a, on a Friday. I had been in there for God knows how long. I'm trying to kind of escape, and mm. one of my closest friends, who some of you know, Frank. Um, he was literally pulling down the drive of where the ambulances come through and almost ran me over. Yeah. And I, I look over and I'm like, and he gets in and he's like, man, you, he's like, you got to go somewhere. Yeah. And, and I, it was like, I mean, I'll do whatever you tell me, you know? And then it's funny because my experience was when I got there, it was, it was uh, Frank and a guy by the name of Gene Rao drove up but it was you it was yeah. mike and uh you know here we sit today it's uh it's crazy but they, what they, was they your warned me about you too <laughs> we were all warned about you we were all we were all warned about you really mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. i i don't doubt that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it's interesting but so i you know from from your experience coming from new york when you pull up what do you remember <laughs> Kind of like you're in you're in a car with your parents. What yeah. what was it? What happened? Um, I don't know. It was a lot of things. It was fear. It was definitely fear. Uh, my parents told me whatever they needed to tell me to get me in that car. I I shared it the other day at the meeting or last week that I thought there were going to be women there. Um, there were no women. Um, right. it looked like a summer camp, and it was just a bunch of like manly looking men, and I was so terrified. Um, there was something oddly comforting about that property, though. Like at this, as as much fear as I felt, I also felt like this. It was like a very sacred place. It was weird. Yeah. Um. But like you know, now obviously that I'm sober and I and I go back and visit, like I really do feel how sacred that property is and how much energy is on that property. Um. And then Mickey came, you know, Mickey came to the car, uh, there was another man, Pete, there was another man, Corey, and they were huge, and they were old, and they were very intimidating, because Mickey, <laughs> like, Mickey's face, when it's not emoting, is, like, very intense, like, it's yeah, very serious, and he, he put his hand in the car, and I just shot to the other side, and I was like, nope, <laughs> I was like, no thank you, and Mickey was just like, get out of the car, like, just yeah. get out of the car, no one is gonna hurt you. Like, just, just do it. Take the first step and like, we'll help you. And, um, I did. I'm glad I did. I'm really glad that I did. I went down to the office. I met Richard. I met Rob. Um, and I didn't know any of these people cause I didn't call the Oaks. My yeah. parents called the Oaks for me, right. um, and made the commitment for me. And, um, you know, I remember, I remember driving and hearing bits and pieces of like, let's text them and tell them we're 15 minutes out. And like, and I was just hearing these things. And I, I was also like super, cause I, I had been awake for like 17 days before I got home. So I, I didn't know what was real and what wasn't. I felt like I was on a swaying ship. Um, so I didn't know, you know, and then, and then I got there and everybody was waiting for you, you know, and, and it was just terrifying. <laughs> and then, you know, I went to sleep 
for like a, a really long time. And I woke up and I was like, shit. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? I remember my parents being just so happy that I was safe. Yeah. I remember them smiling. I had not seen them smile like that in forever. And like, I thought it was a smile that they were so happy to get me out, but they were just so happy that they were going to get to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted, they got me there in one day. They slept for six hours and drove all the way back to New York. And, um, you know, and, and that was it. The rest is, is just, it's been so great. It really is. Um, I, I've always been drawn to this state for whatever. I think when I was little, I heard about Charleston, saw a picture, and was like, that's where I'm going to live when I get older. And we're not in Charleston, <laughs> but close enough. Yeah. You threw a so, dart at the board, and we're like, three hours out. <laughs> right, right. So um, that's how I wound up here. So let me ask you this. So when you get here, you are introduced to, to the steps, mm-hmm. right? Tell me a little bit about that experience. Um, well, I had such a, I had a wonderful sponsor. When we were, when, when I was in long-term intensive, we had two sponsors. We had, um, one named Frank and another named Tyler. And because there was 18 of us, they broke it into nine and nine. Um, but whenever one wasn't there, the other would step in. And those two together were some of the most powerful messages. Like, just the most powerful breakdown. Because I'm an academic, so you need to break it down for me. Like, I am not a simple mind. I will try to find every loophole. I will try to figure out all the caveats of this program so I can try to outsmart it. Um, but there was something about me that recognized that like this was the only shot that I had. So I was like, whatever I have to learn, I'm going to have to learn it. Clearly, it hasn't been working for me on my own accord thus far. Um, there's got to be another way. And it was, it was probably the steps themselves were the simplest but the most difficult things I've ever done in my life because I'm a very overcomplicated person, and when you give simplicity to overcomplicated people, they try to make mountains out of molehills. Uh, the only the only step I truly had trouble with was two. That was it. Um, one was easy because I knew I was powerless, my life was unmanageable, I had nothing. Um, three, well two, two I, st- I was on for like two weeks because I was re- I refused to budge. And um, I remember my sponsor at the time was like, <clears throat> you know, let's just take all of the dogma out of it. Let's just like pull mm-hmm. all the dogma out because that's what's kept you sick. Um, you know, if you if you had a, a friend that you could trust, because I, ha- I had really big trust issues when I came here. Um, literally, if you had a friend you could trust, what would they be? So I gave him five adjectives. Did I do that? I think I did that. You did that. Um, so I put like five. I want to say it was like loving, forgiving, caring, um, humorous and accepting or something like that and uh you know he was like okay do you think you could trust your higher power if your higher power also embodied these things and i was like i mean i guess whatever you know sure you know like indifference you had the first like two weeks you're there yeah absolutely but it's just like fine sure whatever i guess and like to a sponsor (laughs) that's sober and you want to just like knock somebody out (laughs) because you know what they're about to experience and it's like stop (laughs) um but that that was me i feel like that was all of us and um so he was like, okay, cool. For the rest of the day, I want you to just walk around and observe. Don't say a single thing to anybody. And just, you know, if you see somebody embodying one of these characteristics, write it down. And I was like, cool, awesome. I don't have to talk to anybody, and I can read people to filth. That's what I'm good at. You know, mm-hmm. and um, so I sat on my porch. Yeah, <laughs> sat on my porch, and um, I watched just the men. And, and any time I saw somebody be loving, forgiving, caring, accepting, humorous, and whatever the other one was, I would write it down. And the next day I went... We sat down together, and he was like, wow, you really did, you really loved it. And I was like, well, that's what you told me to do. I had nothing else to do, right? 
And uh, he was like, so, you know, you're telling me that, you know, these five things are what are, are qualities in a friend that you could trust. And I was like, yeah. He's like, and you also told me that if your higher power embodied these qualities, you could trust it. And I was like, yeah. He's like, and you're telling me that you saw these qualities in the men on this property. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, then you've seen God at work all around you all day. Wow. And you didn't even know it. And I was like, what? Like, it was like, yes, it was like fire. the yes. craziest yes. experience. That was like the spiritual experience because in, immediately in my mind, I was like, he's 100% right. And if he has a, the, if God has the ability to work in these people, he can work in me. You know, like I just have to figure out what I have to do to get out of the way, you know? And my sponsor was like, funny, you should ask, because that's the next step. And, I, <laughs> and that's why I love when Brian says, like, one step done properly delivers you to the next, because when you really do put your heart into it, it just goes, you know right. what I mean? And right. it takes you with it, whether or not you want it to. And I found that, like, if, if you really put your heart into this program, the book will work you. Like, mm. the, but the book will work you, and you really, all you have to do is just show up. You know, if you just show up with an open heart and open mind and open spirit, the book will read you and it will work and it will move you in ways that you might not necessarily agree with, but it's not about what I agree with yeah. anymore. You know, I don't try to understand things. Wow. Man. Yeah. So when you get to the inventory, what, what, what do you recall about that? I loved it. It was yeah. writing. <laughs> it was writing. I saw everybody doing the inventory and I was like, what is that? Because it looks so, I am like so anal about organization and layouts and tables and like, I know. you know, yeah. <laughs> so when, uh, when I saw these guys have like tables in their notebooks, I was like, what is that? And they're like, it's the inventory. And I was like, what is that? And they're like, you'll figure out when you get there. And I just remember flying through it. Cause I was like, I get to write about me. Like, hell yeah. You know? And, <laughs> And uh, <clears throat> I remember sitting in my fifth step after the inventory was done. The inventory just made me realize I had a lot. I was like a very repetitive and redundant person. Like mm -hmm. I did the same stupid stuff again and again and again, and like it never worked. Um, I placed a lot of expectations on people. I operate out of fear, and when I'm afraid of something, I resent it. When I resent it, I harm it. That's just what I do, you know. Like because I want to mold and shape it into my false sense of reality to keep myself safe. Mm -hmm. um, and in doing so, I put myself in a lot of danger. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. Um, when I did my fifth step, it was so funny because like, you know, it says, you know, admitted to God ourselves as another human being. My sponsor was texting during my fifth step. And I remember that. <laughs> I wasn't offended by it. I, I noticed it and I was like, okay. Um, but I, but, but I, you know, like, whatever, I'm not going to question him. I wasn't going to be like, are you not paying attention to me? Because I knew he was. Um, I knew he was because he... He, was, he wasn't texting the whole time, but he would look at his phone. And working for the Oaks now, mm -hmm. you, you know. you're going to be on your phone a lot of the time. But I was still so selfish and self-centered that I was like, how dare he text yeah, me? I need your undivided attention. Don't right. you know who I am? This is my story. Right, <laughs> right. Even though he's probably heard like hundreds of fits. Yeah, these are my defects. Well, I need your attention here. You know? Right. <laughs> right. We need help. Um, but what I came to realize was like that he was just sitting in there as a body and as a vessel. Like mm. the spiritual experience came from hearing myself talk and like really like hearing myself talk and like just, it was like, there were times when I looked at him and I was like, do I have to keep going? And he was like, yes, you do. And I was like, but I, I understand now. Like, I, I see it and I get it. And he was like, no, you don't. He's like, no, you don't. He's like, you really don't. Um, so I kept going. 
And, uh, you know, I got my character defects, uh, and then I just remember walking out of that fist up feeling like the biggest piece of shit. Mm. Like, I didn't even get that white light experience. I walked out of there, and I hated myself. I hated myself enough to ask God to remove my shortcomings. You know, like, I... I just just so upset and I was like I can't believe that this is what my life looks like today and I you know I went to the to the fire pit I think it was and I sat down there and I was just like I am so done like I'm so done I'm tired of this like I'm tired of living this way I'm tired of thinking everything's about myself I'm tired of setting expectations I'm tired of being afraid I'm tired of hurting people in order to keep myself safe and and I just remember like feeling like shit, I don't, I, I don't know. So that hour with God didn't really bring you any kind, um, of, kind of release from that. It gave me a, a, a level of awareness that I never had. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, because for me, I like, I'm just this romantic personality. Like, I think that everything is always going to be this like fairy tale ending. You know, people were telling me about the white lit experiences they had in their fifth step, so that's what I expected because I compare myself to other people. Right. And I didn't get it. And um, I think it was more so, like, just kind of like, a, okay, man. Like, I see it now. I see it now, and I just want to get rid of it. It didn't make me feel any less worse, asking God to remove my character defects. And then I remember being like, well, that's done. That was awful. Tomorrow will be better. I won't have any more character defects. And I'll be able to do <laughs> I woke up to my roommate being so loud, and I was like, Fuck! <laughs> I was just like, oh my goodness, you know, like, because I thought that I was gonna wake up and just be this like, like shitting glitter and pissing rainbows, like spiritual guru, and I was like, can you just be quiet? And I went to my, I like threw open the door and I ran to my sponsor and I was like, I just, I don't understand. I woke up and and I still have, I'm still intolerant. I'm intolerant as fuck right now. And he was like, yeah, welcome to life. He's yeah. like, now, you know what's important? You came to me and you told me you were being intolerant. Right. You know, like, you came to me and you owned up to it instead of sitting in it for the rest of the day. And, and I was like, there it is. Mm-hmm. You know, there it is. Because my higher power is the type of higher power that will make me, like, go through it to get to it. Like, mm-hmm. it, it will not hand things to me. It knows how I was raised. Um... It blessed me enough with that, where it was like, you know, everything from here on out, man, you're going to have to work for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've given you enough blessings and enough things to be grateful for, and you took it for granted, so now I'm going to make you work. And I like that. You know, I like that. If you don't work, there's no gratitude. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think in the 12th step, when it says having had a spiritual experience, I had a spiritual experience every single day I was on that pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, the first day was not, uh, not needing to use and having a meal. You know, and, and like, for me, the spiritual experience or the spiritual experiences happen every day. The spiritual awakening is when I die sober. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I was able to do this for the rest of my life. You know, and no matter what happened or what came my way, I was able to stay sober through it. That's when I will awaken, you know. And then the weird thing is, then I'll die and I'll awaken into another life. You know what I mean? Like, I'll awaken into the into the real realm of the spirit. You know what I mean? And, and be able to just, I don't know, whatever happens after this. So, so then you start, I guess you start building momentum, right? You start to kind of work this stuff. You know, we, we really teach, you know, 10, 11 and 12. And I think that's, what's great about what, 
what we do at, at the Oaks uh, as opposed to a, a lot of other places, not to, to compare or anything, but mm-hmm. really with, with the, the time factor, uh, especially with that long term, of uh, getting the experience of, you know, you kind of make a, a level of progress and there comes, you know, I, I hate the word, but it, it is what it is, kind of plateau and then things may go dull or, or life throws a chunk of truth. And so you get the opportunity um, to, to work in 10, 11, and 12, right? And so you, you started, started to do that. What was it like? Do you recall what it was like when you got your first sponsee? Yeah, I loved him. His name was Meatball. Well, his name was Mike. <laughs> I called him Meatball. And I loved Meatball. Because Meatball was this just like melodramatic, angry little nugget. Like he was just this little muscular, five foot four, like um, dude that just was, had come from this chaotic lifestyle. And I think it was Delaware. I think it was from Delaware. And I was just like so ready to teach. Like I was, cause that's what I did. You know what I mean? I was like, put me in coach because like now that I've, now that I understand and now that I'm doing the best that I can to apply, like I am just ready for it. But my sponsor was like, do not go around asking to sponsor people. Like sit down queen and wait for, <laughs> wait for them to come to you. Um, and he did. And I think, um, I was grateful. It was a really good experience. The first fifth step I did was like so incredible. It was it was just kind of like watching like like watching. I don't know how to describe it. You know what it's like yeah. when you do a fifth step, like you watching see that light bulb turn on. Yeah, mm-hmm. watching the life return to someone's spirit, yeah. and like watching them just like have those those like chest heaving cries and like feeling safe to do it and then like walking out of the other side like alive and sober you know what i mean it was just so incredible wow what an incredible episode of part of me while i detox thank y'all for joining us we're gonna do something a little different today we're gonna give a snippet of our next guest his name is william mauer with a pretty crazy story actually one of the one of the workers comes running out from the kitchen with a giant butcher's knife screaming like he's in that war. And I said, oh boy, I see a tip jaw with a string. So I cut the tip jaw, I grab it, I run back to the house, which is like four blocks up the road. The police station is right across the street. Yeah, so exactly like I said, pretty crazy story. Uh, make sure you tune in. Let's get it! <laughs> 